This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Good morning. Right on, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. Are they setting people up for this unrealistic expectation that 2023, they're suddenly going to use that $100 million in cap space and all this draft capital they have? Voila! playoff contender and Dan Weeder and you think suddenly that there are going to be 40 new players that are all difference makers I just don't know what fantasy land that is we're going to take the north and never give it back welcome to the take the north podcast on your odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast I'm David Hoff from 6-7 the score in the Mullane Haw show Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune Twas the night before Christmas <laughs> And all through the house, something was stirring, Dan. I think it's a blizzard. Boy, <laughs> that has been the storyline of the week. That has been what has gripped uh, Chicago and held our attention all week long. The Bills are in town. They left the night early. How would you describe this week, this holiday week, leading up to the Christmas Eve matchup between the Bears and the Bills at Soldier Field. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about in terms of the conditions and the elements and all those things that we can get into. It's an intriguing game on the surface, even without the weather, because you've got another chance for this Bears team to, to take a measuring stick game against a team that is currently leading the AFC. They just played the team that's leading the NFC last week and played pretty well and, and showed some encouraging things. And so you get a chance to take another test. But obviously, the weather is going to be a factor. And, and you look at the forecast and you see that the wind chills could be below minus 10. Uh, you see winds that could be gusting up to, to 35 miles per hour. I think the snow will be done by the time Saturday morning arrives. And, and you know, thankfully for me and you on our drive to the to the stadium on Soldier Field on, on Saturday, we won't have to deal with a messy commute, but there's plenty to, uh, to to talk about with this weather that's coming through. I can remember it had to be about five years ago with last time they played on Christmas Eve, the John yeah. Fox era. And at the end of that game, there were empty seats and you thought, boy, people, number one, were going home early for the holidays. Number two, apathy had set in because <laughs> they were so bad. I think you could see empty seats Saturday and it have nothing to do with either. I just feel like a lot of people may look at this game and the conditions and everything else and take a pass. Some people, obviously the diehards, will want to say that they were there no matter what. It'll be some some group of young uh, alcohol-fueled fans <laughs> will have their shirts off. But I, I just wonder what kind of crowd is going to show up Saturday at Soldier Field. If the Bears could accommodate it, and I don't know, the crowds are probably too big, they should allow United Club access for anyone to come in inside and get warm between quarters or whatever it may be because it's going to be really, really cold out there and dangerous to some respects. You bring up that 2017 Christmas Eve game. That was... 0-14 Cleveland Browns visiting Soldier Field to play the 2-14 Bears. So there's a reason that wasn't a real hot ticket in Chicago. <laughs> if you remember, that game ended with Mitch Trubisky scoring a exclamation point touchdown yes. uh, to give the Bears, a, 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 I think it was a 20-6 win or 20-3, something along those lines. And Mitch did the snow angel in the, in the end zone at Soldier Field, and it was a, a really bright, nice moment 
on Christmas Eve for a team that had a young, promising quarterback on the rise. I'm not comparing the two situations, obviously, but uh, yeah, it was a fun trip down memory lane to remember to remember what the context of that game was. I think it was a Christmas miracle. <laughs> All right, let's get things going with our opening drive. It's time for the opening the opening drive. No way around it, Dan. We just started talking about it. The weather, the weather, the weather. You turn on your TV. It's before uh, this lead story in every local newscast. You step outside and you understand why. Braced for the worst. Uh, the Bills left Buffalo early. They are not new at this because right. they had to leave Buffalo early to get to Detroit because they had to play a game in Detroit earlier this season because of blizzard conditions in their city. Now they're dealing with uh, conditions in Chicago that are less than ideal. You're going to get your white Christmas, people. I don't know if this is what you had in mind, but how has the rhetoric been about anything other than the weather this week, Dan? Because it seems like that's been the topic of conversation in both cities. Well, well, well first, the Bills, as you just mentioned, played back-to-back games at Ford Field because they had to leave early to get to, to play, or they had to go to, to Detroit to play that game that was moved from their home stadium and then stayed there to play that Thursday afternoon game against the, the Lions. And then last Saturday... They play a snow game against the the Miami Dolphins with snowball fights breaking out left and right and and, and obviously becoming uh, something that became a topic of conversation there. So the Bills are, are being followed by weather right now. And so they're to blame for all this. We can put this all on them and then see how they and the Bears respond on, on Saturday. I think there's... Um, you know, in terms of the vibe at Hellas Hall, you, you sense a team that is still loose, a team that is still kind of riding the waves of encouragement that they've been able to create for themselves with a few of us in the, the locker room on um, I guess it was Wednesday afternoon. We're just talking about how this did not feel like a three and 11 locker room, just in terms of the mood. Um, and, and that's, that's rare, but it's been a rare season as you and I have talked about a lot. It's been a very odd year to get your arms wrapped around. Um, I do think that there are a, a number of guys in that locker room that are a little bit worn out by a losing streak that dates back to, you know, October 24th. It's a long way back now. And I think there's a lot of guys that would love to, to have that taste of success that actually shows up with a victory. It doesn't seem likely this week. The Bills are uh, nearly a double-digit favorite coming into town uh, as road favorites. Uh, and we'll see where it goes. But, uh, it, it, you know, it's been interesting just to kind of have a, a finger on the pulse of that mood in that Hell's Hall locker room. I, I can't believe it by watching and hearing and just observing uh, maybe a step removed from where you are right in the middle of it, because all season long, it, it seems as if with with teams that are struggling to the extent the Bears have struggled, you look for cues and you look for hints and signs of dissension, of things fraying apart. And, and I guess the longer this goes on and there's no end in sight, there's no end in sight. I don't I, I personally will be surprised if the Bears win again. And And I hear the tone. And I observe, like, Justin Fields at the podium. Cole Komet comes to mind. These are guys that I don't know if it's just good editing or what, Dan, but they have really put forward a professional, positive face in in spite of the adversity and the drudgery of a losing streak. I'm not going to go full Ted Phillips here and say, boy, isn't this a great losing streak, great for the character of this football uh, program and and, and organization. But I have been at least struck by – how things haven't gotten away from this group. And I think it's because largely Justin Fields has emerged and established himself not only to the to the football public, but I think internally maybe as the guy who makes this go and everybody realizes that. Well, so that's certainly a huge factor. And, and when your quarterback is playing at a high level and playing at a level that makes you feel a lot more comfortable about your future, it gives you the luxury of being able to take a deep breath, of being able to zoom out and see a bigger picture perspective. I think that's all very healthy and it keeps you in a, in a good mindset and a good balance. I think there's another part of this that this was true all throughout the Ryan Pace regime and remains true under the Ryan Poles regime. When you fill your locker room with high character guys and you eliminate the guys that that are the first to uh, sort of flee a sinking ship, it allows you to create a culture that that steadies you through losing streaks. Now, again, you know, I I always criticize George and Ted for um, 
praising how well the airbags worked, right? When, when it was, let's just try to not crash the car again. You know, like, I'm glad we've got good airbags that, that lessen the blow of this, but let's stop crashing the car into a wall. Eventually, the Bears are going to have to get there. There's also a first season effect to this. This is a new regime. And if they have double-digit losses in December in 2023 or 2024 or 2025, you're not going to feel the same vibe. A first-year regime coaching staff front office is always given um, just a, a little bit of a, a, a longer leash because it's new and, and nobody has lost faith to that level. Now, I think some of what you and I have been talking about uh, for a couple months now is you don't want to create an acceptance of failure or an acceptance of mediocrity inside your building where it becomes easy to shrug past setbacks as easily as this organization for a quarter century has shrugged past setbacks. And so you have to guard against that at all turns. But that said, I think that this team right now um, understands who it is, what it's up against and where it hopefully is going to go. And I don't think that this mood again is going to last into 2023 if the, the, the same sort of problems persist. What they're up against on Saturday is, of course, the weather. We'll get back to that because you you heard from Matt Eberflus, you heard from Luke Getze, and I didn't realize or had forgotten that Flusi was on that Dallas staff yeah. back in 2013. That was the night that we all will remember for Mike Ditka tearing off his coat, right, going to the microphone, and he was honored that night. Dan, was it, were they retiring his number? What was the occasion? Refresh my memory, and then – uh, factor in how Flusi was involved and what his memories were this week. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the Ditka, the, the the significance of that was. They obviously don't have a ring of honor there, so it wasn't that. But they were obviously, I think it was his jersey retirement yeah. that night that they were that they were doing, and it was it was cold. I, I, I shared this story earlier in the week on the radio. I remember parking my car in the Waldron deck, which is just south of Soldier Field, and walk into that media entrance and being like holy cow, like these eight minutes were as much as I could take that night because of the way that the wind chill was biting and how cold it was. The other thing that you remember from that night, and certainly uh, a lot of people probably recall this, was Josh McCown was still starting at quarterback for the Bears and led the Bears to six touchdowns and two field goals on the first eight possessions of the game, took a kneel down to end it. And it was that game where you're like, man, they've really found something here. This guy just put up 45 points. A backup quarterback for a team in the middle of a playoff hunt and chasing a division championship just put up 45 points. He was named NFC Offensive Player of the Week. And then the next day, the Bears switched back to Jay Cutler, and we know how that season ended up. How did that season end up? Wow, they lost. That. They lost yeah. in the finale. I, and they I do remember it. that <laughs> one. I remember Chris Conti and Randall Cobb. That's another story, another week. All right, so Matt Eberflus was actually on the Dallas staff when temperatures dipped to as low as I think it was in the negative teens, windchill-wise. And this is what he had to say, reminiscing about that moment this week. Yeah, it's just bitter cold. It was bitter cold. You had to really make sure all your skin was covered uh, because, you know, you would, you know, potentially get frostbite and all that. So you got to make sure you used, uh, you know, Vaseline on your face, you know, to make sure everything's covered up right. But uh, it was uh, it was cold, and the, and, the, and the helmets sound weird when they hit, you know. So it was, uh, it was cold. I think it was minus, I want to say 13 or something like that. All right, so that was Matt Eberflus about the 2013 experience at Soldier Field. And I don't know if you ever get good at coaching in conditions like that, Dan. I don't know if those previous experiences help you deal with the, what's in front of you because I think when you're dealing with what's in front of you in conditions that will be presented to them on Saturday afternoon, I just think you're worried about one play at a time one series at a time, one quarter at a time until you get through it. It's as cliche as they come. I don't know any other way to deal with that. Get the Vaseline ready, as Matty Bavlou said. <laughs> he said he couldn't feel his feet in that game in December 2013. And so uh, hopefully they have enough things and, and, and they're prepared going to the sideline. We were talking to Cole Komet in the locker room on Wednesday afternoon, and he doesn't like wearing sleeves beneath his jersey. And he's like, I think I'm just going to go without sleeves. And we're like, Cole, I don't think you're going to be able to. You're going to get frostbite and wind up in the hospital. And so I think for, for certain players, there's going to be some consultation that needs to be had on, hey, guys, this is, this is what you need to do to keep yourself safe as much as, as locked in. And then the other part of this is the mental aspect of this. And I thought that uh, Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze had some interesting things to say about that because he understands that this could become a, a psychological factor if you let it. And here was kind of his message to his players for the week. 
No, I, I mean, we said it the other day. I mean, how you stay warm is, is, is stepping on the field and, and playing violently and playing together and celebrating together. That's how you stay warm. And so we're going to focus on that and executing our stuff. And, um, you know, you, you deal with it. And if it's on your mind and it's distracting you, then you're not going to be able to execute at the highest level. So, fortunately, we got a couple of days that we get to go practice at it and get our, get our minds, uh, get our heads straight. So, Olin Krutz, our guy earlier this week, I think on Twitter, pointed out that the secret to playing in cold weather, he said, is having some hand warmers uh, and also short sleeves. But he had like a short sleeve surfing uh, kind of contraption, which is maybe helps keep the heat in. I don't know if that is uh, something that they sell in NFL uh, locker rooms. I'm sure they'll get their hands on the best equipment possible. Yeah. But Dan, I know there will be sleeveless offensive linemen out there probably sleeveless defensive linemen out there i am most curious i am most curious to what justin fields chooses uh to wear or not to wear because i think it gloves was too right yeah the the gloves and and how he I, there was a pretty cold game a couple weeks ago i forget now which one it was but he came out in short sleeves and he was had bare arms and i think that sometimes the psychological statement you make yeah you may be risking discomfort but i i like a quarterback that isn't worried about wearing long sleeves i know that sounds very meatballish but <laughs> i don't mind my guy trying to make a statement and, and hang with the offensive lineman that way yeah uh, either way I, I i'll go either or on that one if the quarterback wants to wear sleeves and it helps him move the chains they, they'll, they'll be they'll be more than happy with uh, some points going on the board if, he, if he's got some sleeves on a couple little uh behind the scenes anecdotes for you the first one for me on, on monday i didn't realize this storm was rolling in and i was at house hall late and i was typing up my qb re rewind uh for chicago tribune.com and i went in over just to to talk to, to Jeff Joniak and his little cave there in the side of the media room. And we, I, I ran into frantic Jeff Joniak. You obviously know you've seen that before. And he was just kind of, I said, what, what's going on? Why are you so, why are you so excitable this afternoon? He, he starts telling me about the storm. And at this point, there were some forecasts out there that we were going to get three and a half feet of snow and that power lines were going to be in jeopardy. And, and, and Jeff was so scared that the, you know, the Thursday and Friday forecast was going to take the power down at his house and, and disrupt his preparation for the game. He was trying to cram all his preparation in on Monday night and going through all the paces. And I said, damn, like I better go check, the, the, the weather app, right? And, and, and the weather forecast on the internet to make sure I, I know what I'm dealing with so I can, can figure this out. But so since Monday, it feels like uh, at least the snow totals have come down dramatically. I think we're still expecting, obviously, this extreme chill uh, and the winds are going to be really interesting because as we saw last week, the winds factored in and we'll have more on that in our kicker segment later in this episode. The other one, I want to ask you this because 2008, I was still a uh, college basketball reporter in North Carolina, came home for the holidays and my birthday and uh, this was pre-kids, so so my wife and I used to spend a night in the city, and and she had was trying uh, all week to get tickets to a, a Bears-Packers Monday night game on December 22nd, 2008, and she wasn't getting them. And then she said, hey, I was going to try to surprise you. I was trying to get you tickets to this this game. And I said, I don't want to go to that game. It's going to be seven, seven below zero. And so we aborted that mission and ended up uh, watching it at Ditka's downtown. And I remember, again, the walk from Ditka's to, to the hotel we were standing at on Michigan Avenue being like, I don't know how anyone is sitting outside for three and a half hours in that. Do you remember that night at all? It was a, I, a game I, the Bears won on a walk-off Robbie Gold kick. I do vaguely remember that night. I do remember it being very cold. My my frame of reference for cold games at Soldier Field, though, I think 2008, that would have been the first year that, that – was that Favre's last year in Chicago, in Green Bay? I have it might have been Rodgers' first year I starting. Think Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback, so yeah, yeah that, that was the case. Um, the uh, Chad Hutchinson-led Bears, I think, back in – 04 or 05 had a game uh, against the Houston and it was as cold as it gets sub zero. And that's the coldest I could ever remember being at soldier field. The, the Packers game doesn't necessarily um, stand out. There've been some cold ones. The Cowboys game also comes to mind just because, but Dan, none, nobody wants to hear reporters who sit in the press box <laughs> complaining about how frigid the walk is from the car to the stadium. Yeah, I, have, I have said the same thing because it is adversity by our definition. Admittedly soft. I, I, I will, I will uh, own up to that. And you know, obviously in the press box, sometimes we crank those windows open a little bit to get some fresh air and get a little bit of crowd ambience. I, I'm going to be making sure that Big Z doesn't get eager to, to get on that swivel and 
and open that window up in front of our seats in the press box because it's going to be too cold. Let's keep that shut. Let's keep the noise out and let's keep the warmth in. I got to tell a quick story now that you brought it up. So Super Bowl, this is different, different uh, stadium, different city. D- Bears weren't even playing. Super Bowl in Minneapolis. You said Brad Biggs. I'm going to tell this. <laughs> I've said this before. So Biggs and I were at the, super, at the hotel, and we walked to the game. You know, that's that short walk yeah. from uh, the, the hotel to um, – or to, to the shuttle. I'm sorry, to the shuttle at, at the Mall of America. And, and it was probably 15 degrees below zero still. <laughs> And Brad comes down without a coat and walks without a coat from the hotel to the shuttle bus, probably eight minutes tops, but he did not even shiver. Some guys just have, you know, that toughness. I am not one of those guys. I will have as many layers as possible, but Big Z, he gets it done in the winter. Also, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, we typically go to Minneapolis. We went to Minneapolis this year in October, which was a great change of pace. We typically go there in late December, early January. And there have been games up there, even though they play inside where it's like minus 45 degrees out. And I had uh, my cell phone go from 90% battery to zero while I was waiting for an Uber. And and so all of a sudden you're like, I don't even know, like a car pulled up. I'm like, I can't cross check this. I'm going to get in. If this guy takes me where I'm going, great. If I don't wind up there, I'm screwed. But that's that's the kind of cold you deal with up there. I'm stunned you lived there as long as you did. Two Um, years and got out quick. (laughs) As for Joniak, a lot of people don't realize that he was frantic about the weather because he studies it. He was going to be a meteorologist at one point in time. That was one of his dreams. So when he talks about the pressure systems, he's not just talking about what it takes to nail a kick in the closing (laughs) seconds. He's talking about meteorology and that kind of stuff. So Jeff Joniak had this one mapped out on Monday. So he will be ready, him and Tom in the booth on WBBM. Okay. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Okay. We digress a lot. Let's get into our numbers game. All right, Dan, back to football. So you have numbers in the Tribune every week, chicagotribune.com, and we're going to give our predictions. Let's start with the numbers, and we'll get to our predictions with studs. Let me start with some news for you because this was Wednesday night's announcement by the NFL. There were 88 players named to the Pro Bowl, and the first number is zero because the Bears had zero players named to the Pro Bowl. Not a major surprise given what they've dealt with all season. Uh, they were one of only two teams to be shut out from the Pro Bowl uh, honorees. The other one is the Jacksonville Jaguars. The team that's coming to town uh, on Saturday has four. It's Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Jordan Poyer, and fullback Michael Morris. You have a, a situation here where, you know, perhaps you could have made a case for Justin Fields to be in the conversation uh, as a Pro Bowl quarterback in the NFC. Those nom- or those honors obviously went to Jalen Hurts and Geno Smith and then Kirk Cousins. Uh, but this is an illumination, again, of where the Bears roster is right now, David, and how talent deficient it is. And two former Bears, guys who started the calendar year of 2022 as members of the Chicago Bears, Cleo Mack and Roquan Smith, will reunite on the AFC Pro Bowl roster. That hurts. I, that is – how did Roquan – and is that, that factoring in his Bears production as well, right? Uh, I, I mean, it's for the season. So you have, you know, players, coaches and, and fans, one third, one third, one third counting. So it, it certainly does factor in the, the time that he was here in September and, and for much of October. Um, but yeah, that's that's a, I mean, that's got to hurt to see good for those guys, because Roquan Smith, I think, is going to get paid by the Ravens. Not sure it's going to match what he was looking for, but he's going to have some security. I would predict. Look, the Bears can't complain when you're 
having the kind of season they're having and you have double digit losses and you're headed for the second overall pick in the draft, it's hard to claim a higher ground and make and shout from the rooftops. But Eddie Jackson got screwed. If Quandre Diggs is the guy in front of him from the Seahawks selected to the NFC Pro Bowl team, this is from our guy Larry Merritt on Twitter, and I know other people have jumped on this. Eddie Jackson had more interceptions, more pass breakups, more tackles, and more forced fumbles, even though his season ended early. So what does he have to do? I know he was active on the Twitter machine too, complaining, but I think he had a right to complain. There are a few things that are bright spots in a season like this one, but that could have been one. And I think that he has every reason to complain. I think he has every reason to be feel, feel like he belonged in the conversation. You look at the uh, other safeties in the AFC, it's Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James and Jordan Poyer, the other uh, safeties in the NFC. Uh, let me just pull it up. Cause I know it was Talanoa, Hufanga and Buda Baker. Um, so you've got some quality safeties there. I get, I get the, the, the back and forth and the statistical comparisons. This is just a reality of life in the NFL when your team is irrelevant, when your team is outside the spotlight, when no one really is paying attention to your games, they're going to miss some things. And they missed the, the, uh, the breakthrough bounce back performance that Eddie Jackson had in 2022. Obviously it's disappointing that it ended as early as it did with that foot injury, because it would have been nice to see him carry that momentum into the off season. Good news on the Eddie, Jackson front, obviously Brad Biggs caught up with him uh, earlier in the week, and he's going to avoid surgery on that foot, which is a big deal for a Liz Frank injury to be able to, to you know, potentially get yourself in a rehab and recovery mode that that might get you on the on the field by the end of the spring program. At least we'll have you ready for training camp when we when we hit July, and so that's some good news amid some bad news for Eddie Jackson. But again, this is just a state uh, of of irrelevance that the Bears are in right now, and hopefully next year, if they're more competitive, if they're in the hunt longer in the season more people will pay attention and then those votes will go in a different direction this will be the dumbest question that i ask today um but i think it's a thought exercise maybe for later but i have wondered i when i looked at those that list in the afc defense for a split second dan i wondered what would this bear season have been like if ryan poles might have held on to khalil mack held on to roquan smith kept Robert Quinn and face salary cap hell at the end of the season. I get it, but I do wonder would this season have been any different for Justin Fields for the bears? Would it have been any different overall had they kept those pro bowl caliber players? Sure. The games would have been different because you would have had more guys on your defense capable of making plays and potentially getting you a few more wins. I think the long-term view of this was what guided all of this. And the Bears understood they couldn't do what the previous regime did and, and talk themselves into trying to be a little bit more competitive at the expense of making uh, making decisions that weren't going to allow you to sustain any sort of success. And so the practicality was here. I think the the point, obviously, that, that I've tried to make is that uh, – we can praise teardowns all we want. That's the easy thing. You can dismantle and, and tear down and do all that. Now you got to rebuild it. Now you've got to replace guys that were Pro Bowl caliber playmakers, uh, three of them that you just named in Quinn, Mack, and, and, and Roquan. And, and you've got to find those guys because you currently have zero. Right. And, and this is something that the Bears fans are going to have to get their arms around is that you don't just, uh, walk into a, you know, pro bowl, pro bowlers are us in, in March and grab five of them and show up for the, for, for the 2023 season locked and loaded and ready to go. And, and so we'll, we'll, we'll see where they take it and what's going to be a very eventful and, and much anticipated off season. But right now, zero bears, Jaguars, zero pro bowlers. Thank you for that rational explanation. I'm back to reality now. So, all right, what's the next number? All right. Next number is seven. The bears have used seven starting offensive line combinations so far this season in 14 games, they're about to go to eight on Saturday afternoon because the word out of house hall is that Cody Whitehair is probably not going to play on Saturday afternoon with a knee issue. The word out of house hall is Tevin Jenkins probably isn't going to play with a neck issue. And so now all of a sudden on both sides of Sam Mustafer, you're, you're mixing and mass matching pieces. Michael Schofield is going to fill one of those guard spots. Almost certainly wouldn't be surprised. Listen to this. If Larry Borum gets bumped inside to get some guard reps in this game on, on, on uh, Saturday afternoon, possibly Dieter Iceland could get some 
some reps in there. And so now, once again, you're reshuffling up front. I just go back to July when the Bears, uh, Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, were talking about the sooner the better that we can get this this front five established and stable we're going to be better off. And clearly they haven't been able to stabilize it all year. Two more injuries Uh, just to go along with this. This will be the 14th game in two seasons that Tevin Jenkins misses, obviously missed a couple uh, last or earlier this season with, with the hip issue. And he's only played 10 games, David, in which he's played at least 60% of the offensive snaps. So I know there's a lot of encouraged feelings from people who see the, the splash plays and the pancakes and the highlight reel moments from Tevin Jenkins at that position availability durability dependability is as valuable as anything and for now you know to be missing your 14th game and only have played 10 uh with 60 percent of the snaps or more it's it's something that the bears have to keep in mind as they're building in the offseason right regardless of his performance level when he does play they can't ignore the fact that there's oftentimes he doesn't play and so as you plan the rebuild as you plan to supplement your offensive line, whether you're going to draft or go out and buy yourself some new offensive linemen. I'm not sure to what degree they're going to be able to trust Tevin Jenkins, but that's not a a knock because when he's healthy, he has improved to the point where you like what you see, but he's got to stay on the field for that to be true all the time. What's the next number? All right. So the last number today is the one that's been the magic number at Hallis Hall really since Sunday afternoon. And it's 207. And that's the number of rushing yards Justin Fields needs to set the all-time single-season rushing record by a quarterback, the one set by Lamar Jackson during his MVP season in 2019 with the Baltimore Ravens. This is well within reach, David. Justin needs to average 69 rushing yards per contest over the next uh three games, right, to, to break that record. And and since week five, he's averaged 101 rushing yards per game. So that's well within reach for Justin Fields to get there. It's obviously something that, that to his credit, he candidly acknowledged after the game on Sunday that it's not something that is his, his main goal. But he said, hey, <laughs> we're close. Why not try go get it? And so now that creates a whole dynamic of, of kind of how you navigate around this. Hopefully you get it organically within the flow of things. I think Bears players and coaches have been uh, very forward in saying this is not going to be a, a target for us. If we get it, we get it. And then it's a reward for what Justin's done all year but we're not going to go uh you know be single-minded and 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 try to attack that with the sense of of trying to make it happen it's going to be really interesting to track over the next three weeks i love it i like the fact that they are number one acknowledging it not denying that it it means something to people up there I, i like the fact that it will give when he gets it i think he will get it it will be a matter of when not if um I, 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 if he gets it, I, let, let's say that this will give him a, something that officially distinguishes his his season from all the rest, because I think it could be that loud of an announcement that the Bears have found their franchise quarterback or at least the guy they're willing to build around or want to build around. And that would be emphatic in terms of a statement. So I like everything about it. And I love the fact I love I've always loved the idea of a running quarterback. So I like the way that this is developing for Justin Fields. So, so a funny anecdote that Luke Getze shared on Wednesday afternoon and, and kind of being asked, will, will this be at least in the back of your mind as you're you're doing things over these last three weeks, trying to get this achievement for a guy who's had such a special season? He said it won't be, but then he referenced a, a Golden State Warriors-Philadelphia 76ers game from last week when Warriors forward Kevon Looney was was nearing a triple-double and he was one assist away and all the Warriors players were going to, to Steve Kerr and trying to get him to, to get Looney the, the triple-double. And Getsy said, and then Kerr just took Kevin Looney out of the game, Kevin Looney out of the game, and it was there was no more triple-double, and he finished uh, an assist shy of that. That said, Luke has been pretty forward with kind of his praise and, and just his enjoyment of some of these highlight reel runs that Justin's had. He said he couldn't pick out a favorite when Patrick Finley tried to press him for which one was his favorite, but he said after every one of them, he finds himself going to Matt Eberflus and you know, kind of shaking him in the shoulder and going, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And he said, when you've got a half dozen or more of those in a season that's pretty cool stuff and then we asked them specifically about that magical run probably the the coolest play of last week's game against the eagles the 39 yarder that was almost a 48 yard touchdown and here's what what luke said his vantage point on that run was what's special with him is that when we can get other people in space he does a good job of finding them and then when we get him in space he does incredible things uh and so I'm, my eyes were watching the play where he should be throwing the ball. And then, you know, next thing I know, I look back and now it's in this mode. And then 
uh, how he finished that run, I was just yeah, it was pretty pretty incredible. And then I had to get on the on the on the horn because he was celebrating. I'm like, bro, bro, they called you out. They called you out. Get back there. Hurry up. Let's go. And so fortunately, they 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 gave us a bump on the clock there, so we were able to get settled in and then get in the end zone next play. So you have you know you you've got a coaching staff that that you know is still coaching right you're, you're <laughs> the play starts and you're looking to where where the ball's supposed to be thrown the play ends you're trying to encourage your quarterback to get back in the huddle but you're still enjoying all of it and Andrew Janoko the quarterback's coach also on Wednesday afternoon just said that in where the Bears uh, coach's box is at Soldier Field it's the window basically faces uh, a row of seats and he said there were Philadelphia fans sitting in front of that seats and they were turning around all game and giving him grief and when Justin scored on that one he was mouthing through the glass that's coaching guys that's coaching <laughs> <laughs> that's great because you know in, in uh you, you look at what he's done justin fields that is kind of evidence of coaching in that they they started that process you know during that mini buy and, and, and you, they started leaning into it but he makes them look so much smarter oh he, yeah he makes them look even more uh, advanced than maybe they are and they they recognize that and it's good to have some fun with that I also do I would hesitate a little bit if I'm Luke Getze slow down there show me the four championship rings and then I'll compare you to Steve Kerr <laughs> well I, I think it's just the 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 the, uh, the narrative of like he's gonna have guys in his ear right he's gonna be on that yeah. side and they're gonna know where it's at I remember the season family I've talked about this game in many different contexts over the year but uh in 2012 uh when Adrian Peterson was going after Eric Dickerson's uh, single season rushing record and that team was trying to get in the playoffs and they played that epic uh, week 17 game against the Packers at the Metrodome and Adrian I think finished it was either five or eight yards short of Eric Dickerson's record and, and I remember Pam Oliver asking him after the game you know how's it feel to to finish eight yards short and, and Adrian was like eight yards short of what and he like he had no idea where he was it was a 200 yard day that he had and uh, it, it was just one of those where everybody else in the building knew how close he was and 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 ultimately he just fell a little bit short so hopefully we'll uh, see a different result for Justin. I think last Sunday, I appreciated that Justin Fields, he's not oblivious to what's going on around him. He's not right. so locked in because somebody asked him about, did he realize when he hit a thousand yards? And now that may, his answer may have sounded selfish to some people <laughs> like a basketball player. Did you know when he got 30? Yeah, I did. But come on, look around. There's so many visual cues now. There's a yeah. scoreboard that, that honored him for getting a thousand yards. There's the PA address announcer. I know you're locked in and intense, but you're not, you're, you're, you don't, you're yeah, you're not, not oblivious. Player. Yeah. 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 So, it's good awareness. And so it's not like, it's, it's not necessarily bad humility. It's just recognizing what's out there. All right, let's bring in Adam Sudzinski for our predictions this week. Bears, Bills, Saturday on the lakefront. It was the night before Christmas. And what happened? What's going to happen, studs? So, you know, Bills are going to win the game just because they're they're better at all around. But, you know, I, I still, like, you know, similar to last week, you know, a lot of people were picking Philly to win by, you know, 10 plus 13 plus points. I think the Bears are going to keep it pretty respectable within a, within a touchdown or so. I, I think they'll cover the spread again is basically what I was saying last week. So I got, I got the bills 27 to 20 taking care of the other bears, but in, you know, the bottom line, bottom line is, you know, Justin Fields has been able to keep them in every game he's started is so, you know, the only game that got away from the bears since basically all season was the jets game. And that's the game. Dallas, that Justin Fields Dallas, got Dallas, away. Dallas, all right. Fair, Dallas, fair point. Um, so Dallas in the Jets game and in Jets game, obviously Justin Fields didn't start. But you know, so bottom line is, I think they're going to keep it pretty respectable. The Bills aren't quite the juggernaut that they were looking to be in the first month. They're pretty damn good. Don't get me wrong. They're probably they're Super Bowl contenders for a reason. I will say, like a stunning stat that I saw, just like in like looking for stuff about this game, the Bills turnover differential is plus one. The Bears is minus one. The Bills have turned the ball over more than the Bears have this year, and a lot of that has been Josh Allen having just inexplicable interceptions at times yeah. this season. So he hasn't quite been that MVP caliber guy. I mean, he's settled in the last couple of weeks, but so I think the bears are going to keep it close and, you know, they get a couple turnovers like they did against Philly. I mean, who knows what happens, but you know, obviously we saw last week bears won the tur turnover margin and they still lost the game. <laughs> Good one. I've got the bills 27. The Bears 16. I do think the weather can can help the Bears in two ways. I think number one, it can just disrupt the 
concentration of the bills in terms of getting here. Uh, you know, I know I'm personally really glad that I don't have to deal with traveling this week and dealing with the logistical headaches that come with traveling through a storm like this. And so we'll see kind of how their travel plans uh, put them in position. And then I think the Bears can can shorten this game a little bit. They're getting Khalil Herbert back. Uh, it, which should give you a little bit more punch on the ground. And with that, you, you have a chance to, to reduce the number of possessions in a game. If you can control clock, keep it moving and, and try to keep yourself close into the fourth quarter and then figure out what's there. Still, I just think that, that Josh, you, you watch him every week and, and I'm with you studs. There's, there's been plays this year where you go, man, that's just hero ball. And that's not what you do when you're, you're pursuing a Super Bowl championship. But then there's other plays where you go, man, like that dude is so tough. And, and the chemistry that he's got with Diggs is, is so unbelievable undeniable and it's just hard to keep that offense contained for a full 60 minutes bears aren't going to be able to do it and so they get a 27 16 okay. stocking stuffer i wouldn't brag about your lack of uh, problems traveling until you <laughs> conquer the commute uh yeah. soldier field on saturday that might not be a, a treat um i think josh allen is going to have a, a a great fourth quarter but i think that for the second week in a row, we're going to look at a team that is more complete than the Bears and uh, a team that looks like what the Bears want to be once they get some weapons and some infrastructure around Justin Fields. But I think for the third game in a row, before you tumble me, I think for the third <laughs> game in a row, I think that I, I think that Justin Fields is going to outplay his opposing quarterback, his opposing Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. I think Justin Fields is going to have a better game just because maybe the conditions, maybe because he's going to use his legs. That's all part of it. But I don't think it's going to be enough. I think it's going to be Bills 30, Bears 23 in a game where the Bears, again, high compete level. Uh, it will be moral victory Monday in Chicago. But I just don't think they have enough to get over the top. That sounds entertaining. Not today. <laughs> see, see, I get even close. You know that was worth it. That was worth it because you brought it. You brought it this time. All right, let's uh, let's go inside House Hall in our next segment. Okay, so big, big uh, <laughs> this week on Cairo Santos. Going to be difficult to kick a rock. Is that what he compared it to? Or a Rick, Rick, Richard Hightower said it would be like a rock. And, okay. and Cairo, in previous experiences, he had a really cold game in Tennessee one year. Felt like he was kicking a rock. Now, ordinarily, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to kickers, not really. But I think that this is a tough week for him to get well, to, to regain confidence because of the conditions and because of what he's coming off of. Where are we with Cairo Santos and, and why? how surprised are you that we are talking about him as a question mark in week 15? I'm most surprised that he hasn't booked himself on the Today Show yet to talk about his struggles and become one of the most honorable players in the franchise history. Sorry, sorry, Cody. That was just a little uh, side yeah. swipe that I had to get in there. Um, look, I... I Cairo's an interesting dude, and, and, and I've really enjoyed getting to know him over the last few years because he is very introspective, he is very candid, and he is willing to share process and, and things that go into everything that goes into place kicking in the NFL. And right now he's in a little bit of a, a slump. He has missed five extra points this year. He has missed five total kicks, field goals, and extra points in the last five games. That is an undeniable uh, concern. It's a it's a bad spot to be in as a kicker. You can rationalize this and say, well, he's ninety percent on field goals this year, and when you look at it, he's really only cost the Bears eleven points. But seven missed kicks is too many. Five missed extra points is too many. And along with that, David comes a a change that he's making now to try to get himself out of this quote unquote glitch that he he feels by by now moving his setup for the extra point from the right hash mark to the middle of the field, hoping that, a, a, in, in his words, a change of scenery will will help him get back on track. But this is this is something the Bears have to keep tabs on because, again, we've talked about the – I called it earlier this week, a Santa scroll list of, of needs that the Bears have in the 2023 offseason. You want to be crossing some of these off. You don't want to be adding to them. And now it looks like, you know, kicker is something that you have to at least in pencil write down kicker. You know, for 2023, Cairo's got three more games to try to get his own confidence back, to get the confidence of the organization back in him. And some of these changes are interesting. And I thought there was some really, um, I guess, insightful and, and, and noteworthy rhetoric coming out of Alice Hall on Wednesday afternoon about all this. And we'll start with a, a little bit of a, a soundbite from, from Cairo. Uh, he was asked by Colleen Kane, my colleague at the Tribune, about that move from the right hash to the center. And here was his answer on that. 
So I, I think that me going from the right hash and extra points, uh, so for eight, what, eight years now since they changed the, the, the rule, uh, it was the, the hash I, I liked the, the most. And I, I felt like once you enter the extra point like routine, like the process of setting up and kicking that kick from the right hash, it just became really repetitive. Um, that I just feel like right now, like the ball is not shooting where I'm aiming um, compared to the other kicks, the field goals from other hashes, other spots of the field. So, and, and so that's just kind of felt like I, I need some change uh, in that visual to line up the kick from a different angle. And, um, and I just feel like that's what I did. Those two extra points later uh, today at practice, just ball hit going where I'm aiming. So that's something to look forward to. Just kind of give you something else, something different to look at too, just psychologically. Is it just different enough to kind of engage you a little bit? Exactly, yeah. A field goal, I think, I feel more focused because it's a new spot. So it's like you figure out the uh, kind of the lines, like, you know, right there. So I mean, in a way, just kind of something that locks you in more, extra point. You already know it's coming from there. So, like, it's helped me, you know, for, for a long time, kicking from the right hash. But I feel like a bad habit, you know, is starting to develop, and it, it feels easier to just go and, and explore a different different angle than keep. I try to keep grinding it out up to this point. I had five misses, so I think it's not it just didn't work to to stick with it. That sounds like a guy reaching and searching, Dan. I, I understand he's an accomplished professional who came into the season with a lot of momentum and success as a Chicago Bear. But when you're making changes like that, it means that you're – I think I, I saw you on television. Nice job on WGN, by the way. Compare Thank it you. to a golf swing. <laughs> and it's it's very – once you start to think about these things and once you start to think about what you're not doing with the kicker, I think that you have started going down the wrong road. Well, I, I wrote down as we were re-listening to that soundbite here, uh, just for my own golf game, this sounds very familiar to me. The ball is not shooting where I'm aiming, Cairo Santos said. That I, as he said that, I, you know, I'm vigorously nodding because I I know that feeling, you know, like I'm aiming here, it's in the trees over here. I, I don't know what went wrong there, uh, but you got to you gotta find a way to correct it. I think what's really interesting about this, and we'll hear from Richard Hightower here in a second, the special teams coordinator is trying at Hellas Hall to – attach the uh, the right level of urgency and importance to this without overemphasizing it to a point where it becomes bigger than it needs to be. And so there's this element here where they're where they are balancing technical tweaks and changes and corrections with with the whole headspace game that kickers have to play in this league all the time. And it's not easy to figure out it's kind of chicken and egg, right? What went first, the the the, the brain process or or the actual mechanics and fundamentals of of kicking the football. And so it's not an easy juggle. And Richard Hightower had a, a little bit um, to talk about there when when asked if there's anything he can do as a coach, as Cairo's coach, to prevent this from becoming something that becomes a major mental obstacle for him to steer around. Well, I mean, I think you go into the terms of the person and the person you're dealing with. Like, some people need mental coaching. Some people don't need mental coaching. A lot of times with kickers, people don't know how to coach the technique. So everybody says, oh, it's in his head. It's mental. Well, did you look at his plant foot? Did you look at the ball flight? Did you know the wind in which direction the wind was going? Do you know what it means when the ball is not at 6 o'clock laces or 3 o'clock laces? It may not be mental at all, but I think that's a lot of people's crutch because they don't know what 6 o'clock laces are. They don't know what 3 o'clock laces are. They don't know if a target's off snap and we don't spin it right, how it could affect the kicker, you know? So I don't think it's – this kid, I don't think it's mental. I think we just got to get back to work. Maybe, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I, I just don't think that we talk about six o'clock laces and three o'clock laces with Robbie Gold. I, and that's a very unfair comparison, but we weren't worried about these kind of mechanical problems in the, in the process last year. Something changed. Do you suddenly become more sloppy fundamentally? Do you suddenly become it's, it, it's, it, it, with a kicker? My sense would be that you lose, as you age, the, the leg strength. You don't necessarily lose the accuracy or your ability to do things the same way again and again and again, which kind of is mental, but it's tied to the physical and the process. 
I mentioned Robbie Gold. That's what he does so exceedingly well is that he has the same routine and the same – it's just something that becomes uh, a matter of course. So when you're switching spots on the field, when you are having coaches, you know, that was a long way of saying no. You know, <laughs> when you have coaches explain that way, I, I just think you're, you're searching for something. I hope he finds it but it's clear that he is not the kicker that he was last season. The Bills have a really good young kicker in Tyler Bass coming to town on Saturday. It'll be interesting to see how both of those guys handle the elements, handle their own respective situations and, and how they get it done. And a lot of people might say, hey, it's a 3-11 and season. The Bears are in last place. They're not going anywhere. Why is this a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because winning organizations make sure that they treat every situation equally. And even if you're 3-11, and you still have a, have a kicker that puts the ball through the uprights when you have scoring opportunities. And so you want to make sure sure that when you get into games of magnitude, which hopefully are coming sooner rather than later, that you have every uh, possible bolt on the ship tightened, right? right? So that there's not anything. Rich Camel and I used to always talk about loose bolts with this organization, and it always feels like there's a dozen of them that keep the whole thing, for, you know, it's wobbly. And you say, man, you got to get a wrench to tighten those things. This is one of those wrench tightening processes that the Bears have to get uh, figured out, hopefully before we clean out the lockers on January 9th and, and head into an offseason again that, that has already way too many needs to add kicker to it. All right, let's wrap things up with our two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. Jalen Johnson had a nice little Twitter exchange this week with A.J. Brown. I think that it's mutual respect, and he felt very good about his game, as we have talked about. He has a challenge that you could argue is even greater. The conditions – won't maybe allow for that, but Stephon Diggs, to me, is one of the top three to five wide receivers in football. I would maybe put him just a shade ahead of A.J. Brown. I'd like Stephon Diggs. I have since he was in Minnesota. We saw what he was capable of doing there. Jalen Johnson this week, what's his health status, Dan, and how big is this challenge? Yeah, well, first and foremost, Stephon Diggs, 99 receptions, 1,299 yards, 10 touchdowns. All three of those rank third in the NFL at this point in the season. So it tells you how elite this guy is as a receiver. Jalen Johnson circled three receivers on his uh, short list when the schedule came out in the spring. It was Tyreek Hill, it was Justin Jefferson, and it was Stephon Diggs. He's going to get a, a chance here now to, to take this next test against Stephon Diggs. Again, coming off that, that that strange performance against A.J. Brown where he played pretty well, but A.J. Brown still wound up with 181 receiving yards. Now, here's the little news twist on this. I, I tweeted this out Thursday afternoon. Jalen Johnson has a broken bone in his left hand and is probably going to have to play this game on Saturday with a club on his hand, which in his own words, is a disadvantage for a guy who likes to, to be physical and, and do some things with his hands. He's going to be one hand short and it's going to make this all the more difficult. He has been very respectful of who Diggs is as a receiver, uh, how crafty he is, how good he is at getting in and out of his breaks and creating separation, how, how much chemistry he has with Josh Allen. This is a big test again, but once again, for a Bears team that's trying to identify blue chip guys and has a guy that could potentially be a blue chip guy on their next championship contending team, you want to see him take these tests and see how he steps up to him. Jalen's never going to lack for confidence. He's never going to lack for competitive tenacity. He's never going to be one of these guys that within a game is going to be rattled by struggle. Those are amazing qualities to have as a cornerback. Now you have to have production to match it. Hopefully he can get some of that on Saturday. Jack Sanborn goes on injured reserve. The end of his promising rookie season comes quicker than anybody would have liked to have seen. But Dan, I think he played his way into contention for a starting job in 2023. He certainly is a guy who came out of nowhere, but it's too bad in a pity that he has to end the season this way. Yeah, and the big riddle with Jack Sanborn going forward is, is, is this guy just a, a uh, productive player on a last-place team that needs its linebackers to make a lot of tackles because its defensive line is so deficient up front? Or can he continue ascending and become a guy that becomes a five-year starter for you? That's something that they're going to have to ask internally as they you know try to figure out what to do on defense in the offseason. Certainly nobody uh, back in May thought that Jack Sanborn would have the emergence that he had. All credit to this kid for the work he put in, uh, the plays he made when he was finally given the opportunity when Roquan Smith was shipped out of town. Sad end to his season, but certainly a sad end to what was otherwise a, a really, really impressive and encouraging rookie campaign. So number 71 for the Buffalo Bills will be Ryan Bates. People will remember <laughs> that name. It'll ring a bell because he was a target for Ryan Poles. The Bears made him an offer. The Bills matched it. Don't know if he would have been a good addition, a strong 
uh, force in the middle of that offensive line or if he would have been Lucas Patrick, injured and overrated. I don't know what Ryan Bates is to the Bills, Dan, but we'll see him. He'll start his 14th game Saturday at Soldier Field. What I remember most about that saga was that Ryan Poles did not know that the Bills had matched the the offer sheet when we were at the owners' meetings uh, this spring in Florida, and he got the bad news from the media corps as he came out of a meeting and, and, and was, was kind of deflated at, at that, uh, given how Bears free agency had gone to that point. Who knows? Who knows how it would have turned out if he was here? What we do know is that, again, as we talked about earlier, the Bears' offensive line is far from stable. They haven't really identified anybody that you can – put on uh, your depth chart for 2024, right? Two years down the road in Sharpie and say, this guy's on the roster now. He's going to be a contributor for us in two years. That's got to happen. Otherwise, you're, you're never going to give Justin the best chance he needs to, to succeed. You mentioned Khalil Herbert being back. David Montgomery certainly there. And um, I don't know if Tristan Ebner will get any carries because Darrington Evans has probably surpassed him. How do you see the running backs dividing up the carries and workload on Saturday? So I'm really eager to see what Khalil Herbert does down these final three games. I don't know. He, he seems like physically and mentally he's right back to where he needs to be. Does that allow him for a, a you know, a 75% of his normal workload against the bills on Saturday? The bears have an important decision to make with that room going into the off season. Do they want to keep David Montgomery around? If so, how much do they want to pay him to keep him around? Khalil Herbert has a say in what that equation looks like. And part of it is, is, is how he runs the ball. Luke Getzey has lauded his patience and how, 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 just calm he is at letting runs set themselves up and then hitting it when they need to be hit. Khalil Herbert, among running backs with at least 100 carries this year, David, leads the NFL 6.0 yards per carry. That's pretty impressive, and it's something that the Bears are going to take a long look at. Wow. Last thing from me, did you hear Boomer Esiason on 6-7 the score this week? And I want to get this right, and Adam Szczynski was producing that show. Did he actually say, did Boomer actually say that he thought Justin Fields would be better than Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen. Give me the context of that comment before I can process it, Studs. So uh, he he basically said that at, it, he believes that Justin Fields m- may be better than Jalen Hurts. And he went on to say that his ceiling is essentially Josh Allen, not that he can be better than Josh Allen. Okay. And his floor is closer to Jalen Hurts. So okay. he, it was really, really high praise from Boomer. And, I mean, he was basically saying that he thinks he can be a superstar if the Bears build around him properly. Especially given the fact that earlier this season, I think Boomer Siason before the mini-buy, when Justin Fields was struggling to hit the open receiver, was one of the first national voices to sound as pessimistic as he did in terms of what do the Bears have here. He's not a polished passer. He really needs to take some strides. Boomer has been honest about Justin Fields when things were bad. I don't know if he was exaggerating those weaknesses any more than he might be exaggerating these strengths. Somewhere in the middle might be the truth. But certainly for a guy that I respect a lot, whose opinion does carry some weight nationally, Dan, I thought that was an interesting comment. Audience members of ours understand that the Take the North Justin Fields development meter has reflected the shift in in tone of, of where he's gone. And the progress he's made is, is being noticed across the league. It's being noticed now nationally in ways like this, which are important. Look, I like the Jalen Hurts comparison is fine for me because when you watch these two guys and you see, I think Justin Fields has more arm talent. Than, than Jalen Hurts. I'll say that. I think he is definitely a, a much more dynamic athlete. And Jalen Hurts is a really dynamic athlete, but you watch them in person on the same field, and there's just a different level of juice I'd to agree. what Justin Fields does. Josh Allen's a different animal because I think what he's done as a passer since he got in the league, I think right now, I, I, I you, you will have to look this up and correct it, but the first five seasons in the NFL, Josh Allen has accounted for 171 touchdowns. That's rushing, passing, and one receiving touchdown that he had in 2020. Only Dan Marino in his first five seasons in the league has has produced more touchdowns as a as an NFL player. So that's high praise and, and, and a big category to be in. Justin's got a long way to go there. I think what I want to see from Justin Fields going forward is this continued growth as a passer, as a guy that, as we mentioned earlier in the week, keeps his eyes downfield when he's on the move, makes plays in the passing game that way, and continues to bring that along. Justin Fields most likely on Saturday afternoon will surpass 4,000 passing yards. 
Not for the season, David, for his career, <laughs> you know? So we're at the end of year two. And I bring that up just to say, you know, we can all be very excited and encouraged and, and optimistic about where this quarterback can take himself and this franchise while simultaneously acknowledging that there's a long way to go and there are boxes that he hasn't checked and there's deficiencies that, that have to be worked on. Those two things can coexist. I, I, I hope that we are able to articulate that in a clear way because it feels like it gets lost sometimes in, in any uh, mention of a, a deficiency or a weakness that Justin Fields has taken as if you've just insulted his mother, his father, and his sister. And that's not what it, what it's made to be. But as you said, like people are noticing the talent. People are noticing the growth. People are noticing the, the up escalator that he's on. Now you just have to make sure that you stay on that up escalator and don't get off and get lost on a floor that you don't want to be on. Well put, well said. And if all Bears fans wanted for Christmas was a franchise quarterback, I think this is the year that you get what you asked for. So that is a rare one indeed. All right, Dan, that's it for me. I'd like to wish everybody in the audience a Merry Christmas from the Take the North podcast. And enjoy Saturday's game on the lakefront. It's going to be a spectacle. And if you're going, bundle up, layer up, and don't be silly and go sleeveless like you'll see some offensive linemen try. And let's cross our fingers that that commute is uh, is good. We are hosting Christmas Eve, so as soon as I press send on my story from Soldier Field, it's going to be uh, a blur on the express lanes uh, on the Edens and the Kennedy getting getting home and, and getting, getting two crazy kids to bed at a reasonable hour so Santa can eat his cookies. That's great. And we will be back here next week. We're not going to do our post-game pod Saturday night for obvious reasons. Have a happy holiday. Enjoy the Christmas weekend. And we will be back talking about the Bills game, talking about the next game, and talking about Justin Fields inevitably again here on the Take the North podcast where you can get on free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch us on Odyssey's YouTube page, and you can give us some feedback, download, listen, and subscribe. And thank you for all of your time that you've given us this bear season. Merry Christmas, everybody, from the Take the North podcast. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.